For a while now, I've been on this idea of something called the tactical minimalist, someone who gets really good at doing a few things to the point of mastery and how much better that is than learning 50 ways to do similar tasks. And today we're going to take that into the world of strength training. While I look at a book called Radically Simple Strength by Paul Horn and brought Paul on for an interview. So welcome to the Everyday Marksman, the podcast where it's all about tactical skills for living a more adventurous life. I'm your host, Matt Robertson. Our website's everydaymarksman.co. They're going to find today's show notes as well as a review of the book that we're talking about and our YouTube channel. All of our other articles, our awesome community of marksmen just like you. I am glad you could join me. So let's talk about today's episode because this idea of the tactical minimalist is now broaching into the world of strength training. And in today's show notes, I have a highlight from Paul's book where he says the exact same thing. Consistency always trumps novelty. We're far better off doing a few things really, really well and following that until it's logical conclusion. That's going to work for everybody. But the challenge is that that's actually really, really hard to do. So in this interview you're about to hear with Paul, we're going to talk about where people go wrong, what it looks and feels like as you get stronger over time. How does that programming change? Some nutrition tips and mindset tips and the importance of training in the gym for your own mental health. So again, check out the show notes, everydaymarksman.co. And let's get to Paul's background or how we got set up this interview, because this is one of the first things I've ever done, like a book review and the article combined with the podcast interview. So let's talk about that. At some point in 2022, I saw a conversation between Paul and a couple other trainers discussing different techniques. And then Paul let it be known that he had a new book coming out. So I signed up for his email list and forgot all about it until later in the year when I started seeing, hey, my book is coming, come check it out. So I bought it as soon as it got released, read it, devoured it, digested it, thought about it, started suggesting it to others. And then Paul contacted me to say, thanks for suggesting his book and was just curious about who I am. And at that point I've asked him to come onto the podcast. It took us a, a few months to actually get set up and then like another month and a half where I actually got the editing done for this interview. So this was recorded back in March of 2023. So we're a little bit behind schedule here. So Paul is, comes from the world of starting strength, which is the, the ever-present book that everybody kind of learns at some point to how do you get strong. He has a background as a, what he calls professional meathead doing bodybuilding and then getting a strength training. He opened the first starting strength gym in, in California, Los Angeles. And then after COVID shut his gym down, he moved to Idaho where he became the head coach of the starting strength Boise gym started working on this book. And um, yeah, that kind of gets us to here. So uh, Paul is an awesome guy. Very, he has that personality. You just like talking to him. We I think we talked for an hour and 45 minutes. Um, it was a challenge to try and, and pare down that whole time down to about the 55 minutes I have edited out here. Um, but really awesome guy. And definitely check him out at hornstrength.com. And if this interview is a little bit too long for your taste, um, as always, you can jump to the last 10 minutes or so of the episode, and you'll take away with my kind of key notes that I learned from this interview and applying going forward. So with that, let's get to the interview with Paul. Paul, welcome to the Everyday Marksman. Thank you very much for having me. No, it's an awesome side. We kind of had a little like run up what we were talking about before getting to this. So and happy to happy to introduce you more to shooting stuff. But today we're here to talk about strength and conditioning and fitness as something that was really important to me when in the military, but not really, I want to say not nearly important enough. I feel like I'm actually like, it was one of those things I knew I was supposed to do, but I did because I had to. And it wasn't until way later that I was like, you know, I actually like this. What branch military were you in? Air force. And it was a nuclear weapons guy. So it's not like I'm getting shot at. Like, right. You know. Right. But you still have to, they still have like a fitness test that you have to do. <laughs> we did. So it's funny. I, I talk about this all the time, you know, like within the community side of it, is that for the most part, Anytime you hear about a military fitness test, like the one that's a three event, the classics, a three event, you know, you're going to do pushups, you're going to run, you're going to do sit-ups. That's not really a fitness test. That's a, how much are you going to cost us an insurance if you get sick test? And then and how good do you look in uniform test? Because the real stuff, like, like if you go to the army combat fitness test, the Marine Corps, test, like looking at actual soldier tasks in the field and trying to, trying to distill it down to what are athletic events that we can test for job qualifications. That's where it came from. So that got you interested. What were you, I mean, so prior to the, to the military, you weren't working out much or. So yeah, no, for me personally, 
I feel like I'm going to get a coaching session here. All right. So no, so my background, <laughs> so, so my background, actually, I was the out of shape fat kid. Um, to right. be honest, I, I was, I was mediocre at best going into the air force, the ROTC that made me actually start exercising. And I realized how bad off I was, did that. And then kind of stuck to the minimums for a long time. Well, whatever I had to do to keep passing, you know, so that was it. And it wasn't until probably 2013 or so, um, they did my first barbell back squat, uh, and a deadlift in the same day, terrible form, I'm sure, but nobody was there to tell me how to do it, uh, <laughs> except YouTube. And yeah, I, and I couldn't walk very well for like six hours after. And then I was hooked yeah. ever since. And I kind of read a lot more. So I've gone through the whole, like the pain got you into it. It usually turns a lot of people off. They think that it's going to be like that every time. In fact, that was one of the talks that I had to give my new clients, which was like, okay, listen, you're going to be real sore for <laughs> If it's your first time, you're going to be real sore for a couple of days, but it's not going to be like that every time. Yeah, it's a it, it's an adjustment. And then, you know, then you go through the whole iterations of for me, like I don't have a coaching background, so I read a lot. And then what can I apply? Yeah. So then from there, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Mountain Tactical Institute. So um, mm -hmm. Rob Shaw. So then I started mm -hmm. getting to that because I was getting a lot more interested in combining the conditioning side with strength side. And I never wanted to do CrossFit. CrossFit always seemed a little I respect CrossFit for a lot of things, but one of them for me always felt too random. It's like, if I'm trying to get better at one thing, why am I only doing that thing like every couple of weeks? So that was, I, you know, it's funny. I had the same experience with CrossFit. I found starting strength right around the time some of my friends found CrossFit. And so everyone was coming out of bodybuilding, just doing bro stuff. And, all, and I mean, we didn't, none of us squatted. You know, and then and then you had two ends. You had Ripitel and you had uh, CrossFit, both in different ways saying you need to use barbells and you need to squat. So I did the starting strength linear progression where you just you squat three times a week. You go up five pounds every time and had done it long enough where I realized if I took if I missed a session or I took a week off, I couldn't add weight. I had to backtrack a little bit or at the bare minimum, repeat the weight. So I, I started to understand early on the relationship between applying a stress, recovering from that stress, and then being able to ride that adaptation and add more weight, right? And But if you wait too long, so if you squat on Monday and then you rest, then you can go up on Wednesday. And then if you rest, you can go up on Friday. If you squat on Monday and then don't squat for two weeks... You can't go up when you go back because you miss that window. And so my buddy was explaining CrossFit. He's like, oh, yeah, we squat. I'm like, oh, cool. He's like, yeah, we squatted today. We did, you know, whatever the protocol was. And I said, great. When are you going to squat again? He's like, I don't know, a couple weeks. I'm like, yeah, I'm not doing that. That's not going to work. Yep. It's not going to work. And it doesn't. It works for a little bit. Everything works for a little bit. The question is, is it going to work in six months? Is it going to work in six years? Mm -hmm. And that was that's where CrossFit, which did a ton of good. I mean, I'm not going to bash CrossFit for getting people out of 24-hour fitness, off the treadmills, into warehouses with chalk and barbells. That was all awesome. And they owe, they deserve credit for that. Mm -hmm. But exactly what you said, the programming doesn't, the programming is too random. So if, you know, if you want to be good at everything, like you're just not going to, you're going to be okay at, you know, a bunch of stuff. Yep. If you want to be strong, you have to train for strength. If you want to be a good endurance athlete, barbell training is not going to do that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And that's the, the problem with it is they, they did such a good job with the community, mm -hmm. you know, the 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 environment in the gym the the camaraderie all of these people are there they're cheering you on it's been going great for 6 weeks maybe a couple months you've been making progress getting better cuz you weren't trained before now you've adapted and the randomness is catching up with you mm -hmm. and so you go into you know they throw squats on the board and you're supposed to try and beat what you did last time or something like that, or you you want to beat what you did last time, but it's not working anymore because again, it's too random to develop that one specific adaptation. But everybody in the room is like, it's not the programming, man. It's like, you're not trying hard enough. 
So like, let's go. And everybody gets fired up and, and you just, and your form goes to shit and you end up in the orthopedic surgeon's office because you like tore your shoulder because you're just like, it, it can't be the programming and I don't know. And everybody's yelling at me. So I'm just going to throw form out the window and just go for it. Mm-hmm. And that was the thing. That's where they started to get into trouble yeah. with, with all the injuries. I forgot, honestly, how I first came across your book. It was, it, I, I got on your, your list months and months and months and months before you actually released it. It was probably on Twitter or I saw it, I saw it somewhere. Maybe, maybe Rip posted about it. Um, nope. No, that wasn't it. (laughs) No. (laughs) Okay. No. I forgot where I saw it. But Uh, but. yeah, yeah. I probably just bought your email address and put it on my list. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. But um, so there's a couple of things in here, and I'm going to quote from it if you don't mind, just kind of from the opening pages. This is going to be awkward. Okay. Now, okay, bring it. Um, Starting with I Hate CrossFit, chapter one. Uh, no, nope. so there's, this is actually, I'm going to do like the ellipses thing. So I'm going to read one line and read the next part of it. But, uh, sure. The truth is that getting an awesome shape is not complicated. There are some basic principles that you need to understand, but the process of building muscle and shedding body fat is well established and incredibly straightforward and dot, dot, dot ellipses. <laughs> so over here says new lifters often get seduced by training programs, jumping from one template to the next in hopes of finding the perfect protocol. But like the menu at Taco Bell, most of these programs are just different arrangements of the same ingredients. It's so funny that you picked that out because my editor wanted me to pull that line. Oh, it's perfect. It's perfect. <laughs> and then I highlighted actually lower That's in the same so section. Funny. I highlighted consistency always trumps novelty. So I want to start here because Okay. I feel like you, you've said this message a few times both talking to me and in a book here that I feel like you're kind of banging this drum of stop overcomplicating things. So tell me about that. I mean, I, I get, I've been asked several times what I think the biggest issue that lifters face and, and not just, I would say novice and intermediate lifters because advanced lifters, you're in and you kind of get it. So, and if you've made it to the point where you need an advanced training program, like, you know what you're doing. Um, but novices and, and probably more specifically intermediate lifters. So people who've been doing it for a couple of years, they're, you know, I gave this analogy with, um, in, on Twitter the other day, and I've used it a million times, which is if you think about a musician, I play drums terribly, but I used to play in bands. And so I've been through the journey of going from a total beginner to a mediocre intermediate. And I, let's just say I stopped there. (laughs) Um, But I, but I studied drumming and I studied other musicians and what I, and I, and I also worked prior to my job as a professional meathead. I worked with, um, a lot of studio musicians doing music for TV commercials. So I got to hang out and watch the best of the best in the industry. And that was fascinating. And what I learned is that a a beginning, a novice drummer or any type of musician, you, you can't, you play simply because that's all you can do. Right. You you don't have the skills to overcomplicate it. (laughs) And as an, as an intermediate musician, you, want to prove what you, you want to show off your chops. You want to prove to other people that you're good. And so you overplay everything. It's not about the song. It's about, it's about me demonstrating my ability. And then when you get to the master level, these, these master musicians, they don't have anything to prove. Mm -hmm. And so they go back to playing mostly simply because they're, they're more interested in playing the perfect thing that serves the song. Just the notes, just the fills. They're perfect. They're perfectly placed. And, and if they need to do something complicated, they have the skills to do it. But most of the time, if you listen to a drummer, you know, unless he's in some like crazy death metal band or some jazz, you know, some jazz fusion band, like it goes from compli- simple to complicated to simple again. And it's really the same thing with training. It's in that middle intermediate phase is where people basically waste a lot of time. Part of it is you're experimenting. Part of it is you're bored. Part of it is it's hard and you're trying to find the right mix of, 
you know, I, I hate this. <laughs> like I'm dreading my workouts all the time. So there, maybe there's something new, maybe there's something easier. And then you try the easier program and then you realize that didn't work. It's where guys get into trouble is there is this it's these lost years where you're just trying where you're spinning your wheels and you're experimenting with all these new things. And it's you're kind of wasting your time because every time you jump from one program to another program, you have to reset, you have to recalibrate you got to back off the weights and you just waste a bunch of time. And then you get back to where you were strength wise and you, and you start grinding again and then you look for something new. Mm -hmm. And so that I think is overthinking this process and trying to <sighs> avoiding the simple hard thing and trying to, trying to find some secret hack that like no one thought of, or maybe there's a guy on the internet who's selling you an ebook claiming that he solved the problem, but he really didn't. That's where guys waste a ton of productive training time. Mm -hmm. And so that was the goal with the book is like, let's, you know, let me tell you what I've learned. Let me show you. You, if I tell you the mistake, let me distill this down and eliminate all the mistakes I've made so that you can, so I can save you time. Now, the irony of this is I now become one of those programs that people can <laughs> jump around to, right? So this is me doing my best to help. Maybe there's a kid out there who goes, okay, I'm just going to like trust this guy and like that he knows what he's talking about. But the reality is there's going to be a phase where it's so tough to be, to see a client, to be working with like a young guy and to see him struggling to stay motivated, to stay the course, to keep, to keep gaining weight, even though he feels fat and he wants to cut. And you're like, mm -hmm. okay, but you're 25. Don't cut yet. You're 25 and you weigh 165 pounds. <laughs> like, get to 225. And, mm -hmm. it, but they, you know, they're going to make those mistakes. They're going to, they got to figure it out. So overall, like I'm sure with everything that you do and, and you teach, this is the classic 80, 20 thing. We know what works. Mm -hmm. It's boring. It's hard. It's not sexy. It's not proprietary, but it works. And unfortunately you can't make a lot of money selling that. No, and that's, that's true. That's, I mean, that's the message I, I'd say in the shooting world too, is, is there's no money to be made in telling you buy the basic thing and practice the hell out of it. And then right. you'll get better. Like it's, if I give Jerry Michalek, you know, I can give him the most broke down beater rifle off the shelf and he will outshoot almost anybody, even if they've got that $6,000, like crazy tricked out rifle at that level of things, you're spending that kind of money to get the extra 10th of a percent advantage over the other guy who's also really, really good. Um, but if you're comparing somebody who's novice, uh, it doesn't matter. Like they just need to practice. Right. Like as long as they're right. like in the shooting world, as long as their equipment's reliable, they need to practice. Like don't work with broken equipment. Like that's not going to help you, but, but yeah, you know. but that's not fun, you know, cause you're <laughs> well, <laughs> like, spending money is fun. If spending money is fun. And, and plus you're, you know, you're like, I get it psychologically. You're, you're, you're excited about it. You're, you're reading all about it. You're reading all the blogs. You're watching your YouTube channel. You're looking at you showing off new pieces of equipment and you want to be a part of that world. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's boring to be like, I'm just going to use the same gun I had from day one. That's not, yeah. that's not but fun. I, so, and, and I'm guilty. I mean, everybody is, you, you, you go down the <laughs> rabbit hole of like, well, you know what I would really like, I just would like that one. That one just looks sexy. It's got the curves to it. It's got some style. Like, you know, yeah. And maybe if I buy it, I'll practice more, <laughs> you know, of course that just leads to you. Then you need a new other thing for it, a new yep. site. Mm -hmm. You have to keep upgrading it. Like, yeah, it's, it's just a car. This too. is the human thing. thing. This is why, you know, this is the beauty of capitalism of <laughs> it's, it's just, I don't know what the right answer is here because I don't know how you appreciate what, I don't know how you appreciate the simplicity of things without overcomplicating the hell out of it for a while. Mm -hmm. uh, my, and maybe that's just the way it works. Now to bring it back to, I'm not obviously not going to go down like the programs. One of the things I do appreciate you have in here though, is 
is you actually numbered the workouts. Like for your first 12 workouts, <laughs> you're doing this. You know, yeah. And then, and then the next 12, you're doing this. And it's not like yep. you know, a lot of the books I've read are all kind of, you know, all right, th- you pick your shoot. Like here, here's five oh, options. Yeah. Pick one of these. Uh, and then you're going to do one of these and you're going to do one of these. And then here's this really like wild scheme of reps yeah. and sets you have to stick to. You probably know who I'm talking about, which, even though I really like the book, uh, it's like if I'm trying to hand that to a beginner, it's like this is already just paralysis by analysis. Like, well, which one's the right? Best? And and that so that's the challenge of writing a book for more than one person, because the reality is. If I'm working like if you, if I'm your coach. I'm not going to be as rigid as what I put in that book Mm -hmm. because maybe you could go 14 workouts before we need to switch it, but I'm monitoring your progress and I can adjust it. The challenge with writing a book that you're just going to hand to a couple thousand people is you have to kind of generalize some things. If I'm going to call it radically simple strength, I have to put myself in a box in terms of, so like you were talking about the first template is, 12 workouts. And most guys will be able to run the program 12 workouts and add weight every time, no problem. Some guys would be able to do that same program for 36 workouts. The thing that I always try and keep in mind is exactly what you said. First of all, we're going for simplicity here. I I want to tell you exactly what to do. So I'm going to be very specific, even if it's not the absolute most optimal thing. Mm -hmm. Because I can't go in and, and manually and see what each person is doing and how they're responding and, and stuff like that. So the end result is if you stretch this out over five years of training, it doesn't matter. It's like, okay, you, you, did the, you stuck the template for <laughs> 12 workouts. Maybe you could have done it for 24. Who cares? Five years later, you're in intermediate advanced land. And so... That's what I wanted to do with this is just give people a a very clear path to getting from the novice phase to the intermediate phase because the novice phase is fun in the beginning and then it sucks <laughs> <laughs> because because the point of the novice phase is you need to learn how to lift. You need to learn you need a lot of exposure to the fundamental exercises, squats, bench presses, deadlifts, overhead presses. Like mm-hmm. that's what you need time and reps with those. And so we're going to take a couple months and we're just going to hammer that in and and give you exposure to those lifts so that you can get better at them. And you need to learn how to push and you need to learn how to dial in your diet. So we're going to keep everything real simple. But if you run an, if you run the, any novice program, any true novice program, and, and just to clarify for people who might not know the distinction, usually what we mean when we say novice is someone who can put weight on the bar every time they train. So if you walk into the gym on your first day and you can squat 95 pounds for a set of five, and then the next on two days later, you can do a hundred pounds and then you can do 105, you're a novice. It also means if you're a freak and you walk into the gym on your first day and you can squat 315 or 365 for a set of five, a lot of times people would think, hey, that guy's an advanced lifter or at least an intermediate because he's so strong. If that guy can go 315, 320, 325, he's still a novice. It's not about how long you've been going to the gym, how strong you are. It's about how quickly you can recover and adapt from a workout. If you can lift on Monday and go up and wait on, t- on Wednesday and go up and wait on Friday, you're a novice. And an intermediate training is basically weekly progression. So rather than going up Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we're going to go up every Monday. And then we're still going to train Wednesday, Friday, but those are going to be maybe lighter workouts to give you more time to recover because now the weights are heavier. So an advanced lifter, just to round out this or finish off this explanation, would be monthly progression or in the case of a competitive power lifter, you're looking at quarterly progression. So if you have a real advanced lifter, see you got a guy squatting 700 pounds, right? He's going to try and PR that lift maybe four times a year at a powerlifting meet. He can't go up. He can't do 700 and then 705 two two days later (laughs) because 700 is going to wreck him so much physiologically that he needs 
I mean, a month to recover from that. A novice lifter can go in and generate enough stress in one single workout to cause an adaptation and make them stronger in the next workout. If you go in and do a couple sets of five, then that's enough stress where you can go up the next workout. If you're an advanced lifter, you might need, you know, rather than Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we're talking January, February, March. (laughs) So January, you're going to beat the hell out of yourself. February, you're going to back off and let yourself start to recover so that in March on the day of your powerlifting meet, maybe you can squat 10 pounds more than you did three months ago. I don't work with advanced lifters. Hmm. Advanced lifters, they, I don't. They don't need me. If the time, By the time you become an advanced lifter where you need monthly programming or quarterly programming, you know what you're doing. I work with novices and then... And then intermediates. And I work and I work mostly with, and I wrote the book for non-competitive lifters, okay. guys who just do recreational lifters. So when you're doing a novice phase, it's like I said, it's fun in the beginning and then you're adding weight every time. So you're looking at maybe 60 pounds a month on your squat. You can't do that forever. right? <laughs> I wish you could. <laughs> But you could do that for maybe three to six months before mm-hmm. it's before you have to you have to build more recovery time in. So I wanted and, and the end of that novice phase is awful. It's awful because you're just beating the crap out of yourself. Everything's a grind. You're you're nervous about going into the gym. You're scared you're not eating enough protein, that you're not getting enough sleep. You're dreading your workout. You're thinking about it all day. Am I going to get this lift? Oh, you know, and then and then. You either go in and you get the lift and you're like, oh, okay, great. Oh, shit, I have to go up five pounds. Or you fail and you're like, I suck and nothing's working. And you're fr- So that end of the novice phase for any lifter who's truly doing like a legitimate, it's just, it's where people quit. Mm-hmm. It's when I had my gym, it's where I lost clients. They would just get to that point. They'd grind to a halt. They'd dread that. And then they'd just drop off. You wouldn't see them anymore. <laughs> They call it the plateau. You hit the plateau and you just, they don't want to ride it because it's not fun anymore. It's totally not fun and it's not rewarding. And it, and, and I mean, all that anxiety, like mental, it's mental to go in and, and either fail or, or succeed barely, but be stressed about it and nervous about it all day. And so with going back to what you're talking about with how the templates are very specific and organized, like first 12 workouts, next 12 workouts. And then you sort of do the next one till there's some criteria that Mm. tells you it's time to move to the intermediate. My, my entire goal was let's just do an okay job in the novice phase. (laughs) Let's learn the lifts. Let's get acquainted with pushing. But, but as soon as it starts to grind, like, let's cut bait and move mm-hmm. to the intermediate phase. Cause intermediate training is where most guys stay for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. Most people don't ever need anything more complicated than a program that progresses weekly. And so I wanted to get guys there as quickly as possible. It's not the best. If, if I had a kid who came to me and was, a, was a genuine lifter and wanted to compete in powerlifting, I would use a different program. And I, and I could keep him in that novice phase for six, maybe eight months if he was really committed to it. But most guys, the guys that I want to talk to have jobs, relationships, dogs to walk, kids to take care of. It's the, the lifting part needs to fit into this little thing. And then they need to not think about it anymore. One of the things that stands out to me, you know, across all the stuff I've read and, you know, you get into reading the Internet and then. God forbid social media and Instagram, but is you see all these things where so much of it, especially when you get into research, where it seems like this is all based on <laughs> on everything else being out. Like you're getting nine hours of sleep a night. You're eating a perfect diet. You don't have a high stress job. You don't have like you don't have a kid keeping you up all night. Like it's all these things have to be in line. And that's not real life. No. And then I can I understand when people like like I, I ran into this where it's how am I supposed to get in better shape if none of these other things I, I'm supposed to have are happening. And like, that's a big frustrating moment too. Also, you're not doing steroids. So it's like, yeah, well, like, yeah, that fixes a lot of problems, (laughs) Um, but yeah. And wow, God, I was just listening to another podcast and they were talking about this idea of audience capture, right. Mm -hmm. Where you're sort of, you become beholden to your audience. It's like, they were talking about these people who 
just did like a hundred podcast episodes on COVID. And that wasn't the point of their podcast when they started it. But when they put out the first COVID podcast and they got more listeners and then they, and every, their audience is telling them like, no, we want more COVID. Like the more COVID conspiracy theories I put out, the more attention I get. And so that just becomes their whole thing. Yeah, also, the more extreme you, the more extreme you get on those topics, then you get exactly. And but that's it happens with fitness people too, which is these aren't normal people. These are people who love fitness. That most people don't like fitness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's why I have a job. You know, is <laughs> it, it, it's because. But the people who are putting up content like this, they they love it. They've always mm-hmm. loved it, and. And I mean, look at a guy like Huberman, right? Which is mm-hmm. sort of the whole life, the life extension optimization thing that everybody's freaking out about with the cold plunges and the supplements <laughs> and the heat things. And the if, if you don't walk outside and get sunlight on your face, then the first 20 minutes, you're never going to fall asleep. And <laughs> it, it's like, but like he did a two and a half hour podcast on water, like, <laughs> like which I'm sure has a lot of great information. I'm not knocking the guy for putting out information, but like, who cares? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but people care, right? And so so these fitness, it's just a cycle where they have to put out, I need more content for my audience. And even though there's nothing new to talk about, I'm going to just find something new. And, 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 then the, and then you, the poor guy looking for like, just tell me like the 80-20 thing. How do I do an okay job with this and just, I, I don't want to be a power lifter. I don't want to be a bodybuilder. I want to be stronger, maybe a little leaner, look good with my shirt off, not be fat, not be hurting. Mm-hmm. Can't sell that. Right. So I'm trying, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not going to write a book that, yeah, look, talk to me in 10 years and maybe I'll be hawking all kinds of bullshit. <laughs> like, you never know where this is going to go. I'm just starting out on the whole. I was a brick and mortar. I don't want to be on social media at all mm-hmm. kind of guy. And then the gym closed and I was like, let me write this book. And now I have to navigate this social media world. You know, going back to the whole idea of the fitness test, if you're trying to tell somebody who's just like does nothing, like you need to get stronger. Like what, what is the message that you send? Like, why does strength matter? Strength is, I mean, this is a Ripito. This is Ripito's, you know, message from day one, which is, it is the foundation of all other athletic performance. If you're not strong, improving your strength will improve every other physical adaptation that you can train for. So if you think about speed, endurance, in your case, accuracy, that's one of the adaptations people can train for is accurate. The ability to do a submaximal motion perfectly and consistently over and over and over again, like shooting a gun, shooting a bow and arrow, right? Um, All of those things are influenced by strength. So for someone who is it who whose legs aren't very strong if you get them stronger you will increase their power output on a bike which means they can go faster so we've influenced speed or you've influenced how long they can push the same speed right because they're stronger so each pedal stroke is less difficult so now we're improving their endurance and we didn't do anything to work with them on the bike you just got them stronger. It it influences. It is the king of adaptations, as Rip would say. And he's right. It is. So that's the main reason that being strong is. And, and most people aren't. Mm-hmm. So there's the physical side, which is, I mean, this is a, this could conversation could go on forever. But I'm here you know, for it. strength is also the thing that you lose when you get older. Yeah. Nobody cares what your 5K time is when you're 83. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure there's an A3 year old out there who's going to email you, but, (laughs) but but, um, they care that you can get off the toilet. They -hmm. care that if you fall, if they fall down, they can get back up. Mm -hmm. That's strength. So, and, and that's what, that's what gets lost as you age is, is your ability, your strength. And, and it, and it makes your world smaller, Mm -hmm. right? Because the less that you can do, the the, the less you do. And then you end up as one of these elderly people where they just 
it's just they're in their living room in their chair until they die. And you can do something about it. And you, you start, I used to tell female clients this all the time because they, female, females lose muscle mass faster than men do, right? And muscle mass for a female usually peaks at 30 years old. So you're building, you're building 30, you hit your peak and then it starts and then it just starts to decline. Mm-hmm. And to, if you don't do anything about it. So you start at 30 years old, you start losing muscle mass every decade until you have osteoporosis and sarcopenia and you have to use a walker or a wheelchair and you're just waiting to die. You, if you lift weights and eat enough protein, we can actually keep putting muscle on. Mm-hmm. And, and so that by the time you're going into your 60s and 70s, you've, uh, I don't know if you know Jonathan Sullivan at Graysteel. Yeah. He's a starting, yeah. He works exclusively with people over 50. Smartest guy I know. Uh, he wrote the Barbell Prescription. So we'll mm-hmm. plug his book. Um, but his thing was always that you look at every workout that you do, like putting a deposit in your body's 401k. Mm-hmm. So that when you reach retirement age, you can draw on it. And you can keep playing pickleball and you can pick up your grandkids. And But I can tell you from experience that a person who has been active from 30, you know, and just never stopped, even if it's golf, even if it's cycling, just doing something. When that guy walks into my gym at 70 years old, he's been active somehow and he goes, hey, listen, I want to do some strength training. That's one case. The other case is the person who's done absolutely nothing for the last 20 years. They're 75. They come into the gym and they go, Hey, my doctor told me I'm getting really weak and I can't really do much. And so like, I need to start now. I need to start being active now. That is an entirely different ball game at, if if I see those guys at 40, it's not that different in terms of where we start and what we can do on day one, but it, it separates. And, and at 75, the guy who's been moving his body in some way, we're going to, maybe we'll put a light bar on his back day one. Maybe mm-hmm. we're definitely going to deadlift, right? The guy who has, who's been just doing nothing. And now he's trying to reclaim some of that, make up some of that time that he's lost. It's like, maybe he can squat down to a bench holding my hands. Maybe. Like a high bench. So, so building, the, building the habit of just making fitness a part, and strength training specifically. Because if you have an hour to spend in the gym, you should lift weights. And if you have two hours to spend in the gym twice a week, you should lift weights. And if you have three hours, you should probably lift weights again. Beyond that, then you could start, you know, do some cardio, whatever. But if you only have one hour a week, you should be lifting weights. It is the most bang for your buck thing that you could do. Getting in the habit of making strength training a part of your life from an early age will set you up down the line to have a more active role to, to as Sully would say, play the game of life mm. the way that you want to. Okay, fine. That's, you know, but now we're talking about Young guys, right? Yeah. Why do young guys need to be strong? Well, I mean, that's, uh, so it's interesting. Actually, because knowing my demographics, I actually have a pretty widespread. Not a lot of them are that not that young. But okay. They, but I think young guys, I know the story in your book is like, here's a bunch of Silicon Valley bros. And it's like, yeah. they, they, you know, they want to like, you just need to like, they go get strong, go do something, set yourself up for success. Kind of. For, for, for someone, you know, we have the long-term goal of we want to be healthy when we're older. And that's one reason to be strong. But we have a hard time keeping our focus on mm-hmm. down the road. I mean, that's why people still smoke, right? It's like, they're, yeah, I'll quit later. Okay. Um, but for an average guy, 30s, 40s, 50s, aside from just looking better, which strength and body composition – are tied together, right? If you want your muscles to get stronger, they have to get bigger. Mm-hmm. So even if it's purely for vanity, there's some degree of strength training that you need to do. The real value in my world is what it does for you mentally, specifically men, especially these days, right? With this crisis of young men, it's like we need some degree of struggle in our lives. Mm-hmm. 
And I can't think of a better way to do that than strength training. I think jujitsu is a really good thing because you're getting in there with a guy and you're, you've got a guy trying to break your arm. So like, that's, that's a struggle, right? To not let that happen. Um, and I think that's a good, I think it's good, but in terms of simplicity and access, you know, if you have a barbell and some weights in your garage and a squat rack and you go in there three times a week and you have a very simple program and you have a challenge set for yourself three days a week that you're going to try and lift a little bit more than you did last time, that changes you, man. It makes you tougher. You, you either learn about yourself and you see that it's useful and you see what it's doing and you stick with it and you do the thing that you need to do every week in terms of eating and recovery to make that happen or you bail or you mm-hmm. say this is too hard and I quit. And a lot of people do. A lot of people get their first back tweak and they're like, I'm out, you know, um, or because they just needed an excuse. I mean, yeah. I can't tell you the number of times I've had a client come into the gym gung ho about working out. And it's always the guys who are real amped up about it right out of the gate. I'm like, eh. With, it's weird. With those guys who are all in right from day one, you're like, no, something's up here. You're going to burn out. Mm-hmm. And the first, man, the first back tweak, the first missed rep, they just disappear. Right. Mm-hmm. But for the guy that kind of gets what gets the process and sticks with it and just, you know, you're not. It's not running a marathon every week. It's not, it's, it's a little bit more. It's just a little, it's just a a little bit more stress. Mm -hmm. And, but you compound that over 10 years, 20 years, in my case, 22 years, something like that now. And you look back and you go, wow, that I have learned a lot about what I'm capable of, what I think I, what I think I'm capable of and what I'm actually capable of. I've learned how to, I've learned how to grind on something that scared the hell out of me. I've learned how to fail and pick myself back up and try again and not throw a fit. I mean, I threw a lot of fits. I threw a lot of fit. Oh man, you go through that. And you, and even, even that, even figuring that out makes you a bet. You, you start to go, you know what, this stuff, this is not a big deal because man, I was really upset about that one workout. Turns out three months later, that workout didn't mean anything. That workout was a minor setback in a, you know, bigger process. And you start to, you, it gives you perspective. It gives you, it keeps you calm. So that's really the thing is, is psychologically, there's no, there's no downside to it really. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's like, you're going to look better. So you're going to feel better about yourself. You're going to be more confident. You're going to be healthier. Generally speaking, you have more muscle mass And you're mentally going to be way tougher than you would be, way more resilient than you would be if you didn't expose yourself to this. We went deep on that one. It was was, we went philosophical there. Just a couple more questions because one of them was a follow-on here, which was, you know, uh, earlier we mentioned how so much of this influencer side of things is about extremes. But if we zoom it out a little bit and say something like, look, for the average guy, when is strong enough that it's like, look, this is probably pretty well covered. You can go enjoy other yeah. parts of your life. Um, that's a very good question. And uh, it's something that my mom used to ask me all the time. <laughs> like, why do you always have to lift more weight? <laughs> you know, um, It's a personal decision. So there is a point where in every trainee's career where you have to look at what it would require to set a new PR to circle back to our novice intermediate distinction advanced, right? Where we're, we can add weight every time and then we can add weight once a week and then we can add weight every month or every three months. When you get to the point where a new PR will take you three months of dedicated effort, it might not be worth it. So I used to compete in powerlifting very recreationally and you train and you have a 12 week training cycle and you're just super disciplined and you're locked in on your training and everything is about this meet. And then you do the meet, you set a PR and you, you, there's this come down, you're, you're excited. And then you have to go back in the gym and you have to decide, okay, it took me three months to hit a new PR. Is it worth me doing that again 
with all the other things going on. Just to use my previous example, hey, my buddy has a bachelor party right in the middle of this training cycle. Well, that's going to ruin it. You know, do I want to skip his that thing or do it? You, you have decisions to make. And so there comes a point with every lifter where you just have to look at what it would take to get stronger and decide whether or not it's worth the investment. And, and it, there's a point where it's not. And it, where that point is, it, it differs and it moves. So I personally had given up on trying to set new PRs because life just got crazy and I had an accident where I broke my shoulder and I had to have that a big surgery and, and that derailed me. And so you're always outside that novice phase, man. <laughs> you're always, you're, you're, you're most of the time outside the novice phase. You are, you're either trying to maintain your strength or you're trying to retake ground that you've lost because of an injury or a vacation or something like that. Very rarely in your intermediate, especially late stage intermediate, do the stars align in such a way that you actually get a shot at a new PR? And um, it's just the way it works, but you still have to train. What I was saying in terms of the target moving is I had given up on all that. I was like, I don't, I'm done. Like I squatted, I, I set my PRs and powerlifting meets. I'm so far away from that. I'm never gonna get back to it. Let me find something else about training that will keep me motivated. And then, I got one of these things where the stars kind of aligned and I looked at my training log and I was like, I am in very close range to a new PR on my squat and my deadlift. And then it came back. I got excited and, and I was like, okay, now I've got a thing. And so now I'm like the us talking right now, I'm fired up about my training <laughs> and I'm never fired up about training. <laughs> so, so like I said, so, I thought I was done caring about getting stronger. Now I really care. How long will I ride this wave? No idea. But it doesn't matter because stronger doesn't necessarily mean stronger than you've ever been. We're always trying to get stronger. The point of training is always to get stronger. Aside from building up your muscles and, and or maybe like losing fat, stuff like that. But, but generally speaking, when you go into the bar and you touch weights, the purpose of that is to get stronger. Because it's not fun to not, who wants to train to just not, to just maintain? Some people do, but generally speaking, even the guys who, I've had tons of lifters who said, okay, when I squat 315, I'm done. That's it. And you know, they tell me that at when they can squat 225. But they say, uh, listen, this is crazy. You know, I'll do this. But when I hit 315 on the squat, I'm done trying to add weight to the bar. <laughs> and every single time they hit 315 and they go, that wasn't so bad. You know, it'd be cool. 365, <laughs> right? Happens every time. So, but you're, like I said, you're always trying to get stronger, but that doesn't necessarily mean, necessarily mean stronger than ever. It could mean back to where you were. If you, if you tweaked your back and you've been out of the gym for a month or a couple weeks, which you shouldn't, but most of the time, <laughs> but, or you went on vacation and you lost some ground, you're trying to retake that ground. It's stronger than the last workout or stronger than last week. That's, that's the right way to look at it, especially okay. if you do something like a cut, right? So when you go into cutting body fat, your strength just, I mean, most of the time your strength just plummets at some point yeah. when you get really lean. So when you start the bulking phase again, your goal is to get back to where you were. And then when you get there, you can kind of evaluate if you want to keep going past that or do something else. But you have to you have to find a reason to keep this interesting and it will shift. You will go through phases where you hate training. You'll go through phases where the program that you're doing, the idea of going in and squatting. I mean, I used to do programs where I squatted th three days a week and five sets of five. And and the idea of doing that right now is just like I would I would know. No, no, no. I'm done with that. <laughs> but, so, so in a way, it's 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 less about trying to find something. Always just keep doing, keep checking the box. If nothing else, it's part of your mindset, and just yes. But you do have to trick yourself. You do have to to play a little psychological game to keep yourself engaged. Because if you give up on progress of some sort, even if it's 
okay, I'm going to, my deadlift, I don't care. I'm just going to maintain my deadlift, but maybe I'm going to try and PR my trap bar deadlift or, or, or maybe I'm going to try and maintain my strength while I do a cut and see if I can shed body fat. That's a real good way to mix things up. That cycle of bulking and cutting that, that, that gives you something else to do. And now the goal of training isn't to get stronger. It's to maintain your muscle mass while you lose body fat. So, and then you do that for a couple of months and then, and then you realize cutting is miserable <laughs> and all you want to do is get back to PR your deadlift and then it shifts again. And then, and you just, yeah. So the goal is always to get stronger, but it doesn't always mean the same thing. It doesn't always mean more weight on the bar. So, so I have one, one topic left and then, oh, and let's then do it. <laughs> uh, um, because you broached on it, but the whole cutting cutting bulking thing. So, you know, if I'm, if someone's starting over 20%, we'll say like realistically, are they, are they still going to be able to make any kind of gains or is just kind of holding on? Cause holding on from 20% to 13, 12, 10% seems like that's going to take a long time. Um, yeah, the first cut. So the, the reason that I advocate or I lay out the, the plan in my book, the way I do is because the first cut is usually the longest one. Most guys are probably going to be over 20%. And if, if they haven't trained, they're going to just have a little bit more body fat than they should, you know, than they should if they had been training. So usually the first go around, you have a lot of fat to lose and it takes a while. Right. But, but then the plan is don't let yourself get fat again. (laughs) Right. So once you cut down to 10%, which is the target that I lay out in the book, Mm -hmm. then First of all, things get better. It gets easier to maintain leanness once you get rid of that body fat. So as you bulk back up, you have more favorable nutrient partitioning. Stuff gets, it's, you're, you're better at, at burning off fat and building muscle than just storing fat from calories. Your, your, your body works more efficiently in the way that you want it to. So, so it's, so once you get lean and then you bulk back up, like you're probably, if you do it right and you're not, you know, you don't just pig out on Twinkies and stuff. Um, you, you might get back to your previous body weight, but your body composition will be less than what it was. So I don't Mm -hmm. want, I usually say, try and stick between 10 and 15%, right? Mm -hmm. Get down to 10% and then work and then bulk back up until you hit 15 and then call it, (laughs) you know, cause you don't want to go back to where you were. So when you, when you tell people advice, like, I know the question always would come up, but do I cut first or do I bulk first? And I think the answer I've seen yeah. more often is, you know, most people should probably get muscle mass first and then worry about it. So but is you, that true yes. once, like after 40, let's say. So everything is, you know, depends on the, on the person, obviously. Um, if you're 300 pounds, no, you need to cut first <laughs> immediately, especially if you're over 40, you're going to have a heart attack. Yeah. Um, but if you're an average guy who hasn't really done a serious strength training program, maybe screwed around in the gym in college or something, but you haven't really built a bunch of muscle mass, you're not fat or obese, but you're also, which maybe you're a little doughy. So we can influence body composition by losing body fat. We can influence body composition by gaining muscle mass. I just had a conversation on Reddit today with a, with a former client who was at, who's going through this exact, I mean, he's like exactly who we're talking about. And we did the math and it's like, I think he's like 185 pounds right now. He's six foot and his body fat's like 23%, right? So what do you do with that guy? Because I mean, I'll tell you, <laughs> like, oh, I'm going to guess, actually, I'm going to say in that case, go for some muscle. Well, get it, lose, losing right. a bunch might end up really low weight. So, yeah. So we did the math and we figured out that if he cut to 10%, he would weigh like 155. That's not a good look for, <laughs> for a guy who's six feet tall to weigh 155. That's like a medium sized girl, right? <laughs> um, I, my advice to him was, look, if, if, you know, get to 220, get to 205 at least, Get to 225, that would be even better. Because if he cut, if he just bulked up to 225, his body fat percentage would, you know, we assume like 70, 30 fat muscle or muscle fat, right? So every new pound, 70% is fat is muscle. 
30% is fat, 60, 40, something like that. He's going to end up between 205 and 225, roughly at the same body fat percentage that he is right now. But he's going to have a lot more muscle. So his shoulders are going to fill out. His back's going to be bigger. So maybe he has a little, his belly is equally as fluffy as it is now, but the, the frame that it's in gives the illusion that he's actually just in better shape. Like he'll, he would look better at 225 if he could maintain it. Um, and then cut down to 10%, he's 185, right? He's where he is now, but 10% body fat. That's, I mean, that's, that guy would look badass, <laughs> right? <laughs> just ripped and muscular. That's a good look. But the, the problem is that you have to go through that phase of feeling like you're fat. Mm-hmm. And a lot of guys don't want to do that. So what we settled on, and who knows, you know, this is on Reddit, so who knows what he's actually going to do. But we settled on, all right, fine. You're at 23% body fat. Cut down to 15. So you're under 20. And then, you know, you could do that in 8 to 12 weeks. And then do a little bulk. But, you know, do it right. Do it clean. So that mm-hmm. most of what you put on is muscle, and then maybe you stare, and then maybe you go from the next one down to 10%, right? So maybe you go from 15% to 17%, and then you go down to 12%, and then 15%, mm-hmm. okay. and then 10%, and then, right? So it's a personal choice. There's no right way to do it. If you look at yourself and you're just like, this is disgusting. I feel like a fat ass. Cut. There's nothing wrong with that. Cut. But if you want to be a big strong jacked dude and you're not going to take steroids then you have to spend some time getting big first big mm-hmm. because it's like it's like a chunk of marble right you're going to chisel out a, a greek god a statue of a greek god you have you, the bigger that that block is when you start <laughs> the bigger the final piece will be when you chip all the excess away and you reveal the physique. So you, if you start with a little tiny block, you're going to end up with an even smaller statue. If you start with a big sturdy block, yes, it's smaller, but it's still going to be, you know, you're still going to like the way it looks. So, but this is, this is the challenge that men have been dealing with <laughs> because it, that's the thing you're it, when you're in that middle ground, it, you don't know what to do. If, if the guy was 135 right now, it's like, dude, we're not even going to talk about cutting. Just, you just need to bulk indefinitely mm-hmm. and we'll deal with cutting later. And if you're 300 pounds, you need to cut. And that guy can actually recompose because he's got so much body fat. All right, Paul, I, I could keep going on because I'm, I'm nerding out and I haven't <laughs> even got to talk conditioning stuff, but um, I well, I'm not the conditioning guy. Anyway. So, <laughs> so maybe that's a good place um, to tap out. <laughs> so I, I, I really enjoyed our conversation. So anybody's going to come find you later on, where do they, where do they come find you? Uh, you can go to hornstrength.com. That's my main website. I'm on, you know, doing the whole social media thing, Twitter, Instagram, hornstrength. We also do, we have a Reddit community. It's r slash horn strength. This is, you're getting the theme here. And so that's the place where I field questions and stuff. That's also where we do our weekly form check Friday video series where people in the Reddit community post up links to form check videos. And then on Fridays, so tomorrow, well, whenever we're, I don't know when this is going to go out, but for me tomorrow, turn the camera on and I just go through and do on the fly form checks for five to six people each week. Ton of fun. I think you've done one, right? Yeah. yeah. So that's a great place to interact. That goes up on YouTube and um, and then the books on Amazon. So, and I also have a free, on my website, there's a free fat loss guide, which is kind of like a summarized version of the nutrition stuff in the book with a little bit less detail for, it was actually lays out what I did to cut for the book cover. So that's on my website for free at hornstrength.com. And um, yeah, you'll find me. (laughs) Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Likewise, man. Thanks for having me. All right, let's talk about some of my key takeaways from this interview, which I really, really enjoyed this discussion. Now, as I'm editing this a little about five, six weeks after the fact, listening back to the points, I really enjoyed the conversation that I had. Uh, And it's going to be difficult to narrow it down to three kind of main takeaways, but let's do my best here. So, 
Uh, number one, right off the bat, this isn't even a takeaway, but I put it in the review of the book itself, is that going forward, Paul's book, Radically Simple Strength, is now like my default recommendation for someone who is interested in getting stronger and doesn't know where to begin. Uh, am I following it myself? No. Uh, no, I'm not. And honestly, I probably could benefit from it too, but the program that I am following is working just fine for me. And as Paul talked about, you might as well stick with what's already working and keep doing that until it doesn't work anymore. So that's what I'm doing. So let's get to Paul's or my main takeaways from Paul. So number one is that the mental benefits are just as important as the physical when it comes to getting stronger. Most people start lifting for physical reasons. They want to be stronger, look better, perform well, or some combination of all three. And eventually, people who stick to it long enough come to realize that the main reason they keep showing up is the mental benefits they did not expect. Lifting weights teaches you a lot about yourself. And I've heard the phrase character building tossed around here and there. Becoming stronger teaches you to set those goals, work for them, fail along the way, and overcome. It teaches you to push those limits and deal with struggle in ways that not many other activities can. Paul pointed out that the process of setting these difficult goals for yourself, consistently pursuing them, also forces you to set up some guardrails in life. Now, I cut this part of the interview out, but it was in my kind of show notes here, is that sometimes people just need these kinds of guardrails. Men, in particular, need something to struggle against. We need some struggle in our lives. And weight training, the act of getting stronger, planning for it, and disciplining our lives around it is one of the best ways to do that. If the choice is between going out and partying and staying out too late, too many nights in a week, or pursuing your goals, well, then maybe you pursue your goals a little bit harder. So guardrails and struggle make us better. Takeaway number two, what is strong enough? You know, this is something I've been trying to figure out for a while, and it's probably going to get its own article at some point. But I liked Paul's answer to this one, which is, Strong enough is the point where your time might be better spent pursuing other things because getting to that next level of your strength training performance is just going to take too much time, too much effort, too much discipline. But, but how do we define that too much time and too much effort? Well, I think Paul's example was take a professional power lifter or an advanced lifter who is no longer able to add weight to the bar every work, every workout or every week or even every month. If you're at the point where Adding more weight to the bar is going to take three months of careful planning, discipline, nutrition, recovery, and shunning the rest of your life. Well, then you have a decision to make. Do you want to pursue that next PR or is your time now better spent pursuing other things that you would be interested in? Those other things could also be other fitness pursuits. Maybe you want to try some more kettlebell stuff. Maybe you want to do some strongman training. Maybe you want to do more endurance training and go for more runs. The idea is building your all-round capability. Well, then, yeah, that's probably strong enough. And that point is going to be different for everybody. Everybody is starting with a different a different hand of cards of what are your what is that capability that you can reach. So, I think that's that's where I'm going to take my my takeaway here is that keep working consistently. Stronger doesn't always mean the strongest you've ever been. It might just be maintaining and working towards a goal, retaking ground, but you should always be working to be stronger, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're always working towards a new PR, all right? And point number three, which is related to this one, which is riding the grind. Now, this I don't think he actually said this as one explicit point during the interview, but it's been this recurring theme throughout our conversation as well as in his book. And that is the biggest mistake people make when they start to get stronger is bailing out of the program when it gets difficult. Whether it's because they miss a rep, they get injured or start exerting more effort than they're used to, people just decide to go pursue other things instead. Or if they don't quit, then they go look for another program claiming to have the secret sauce that's going to make them better. It's just like the shooting world where eventually you're going to hit a point where the limiting factor is your own skill. And buying a new widget that's being sold to you because it's going to make you better isn't actually the answer. It's not going to make you any better if you don't have the skills. You have to do the struggle. You have to do the work. That's how you get better. And the end result, either way, whether it's jumping programs, strength training, or buying that new widget in the shooting world, is that you never make the progress. Every time you, every time you make that switch, you're just resetting yourself. You're starting back over, have to make up that ground again. And the cycle continues over and over until you end in frustration or 
in lifting, people turn to drugs. Your steroids go a little bit too quickly. And the harsh truth of this is that it's supposed to be hard. You're supposed to struggle and grind and keep pushing, and especially when it gets difficult. Don't abandon the plan. You know, Paul even said this too, is that as you get more advanced, especially that late intermediate, as he put it, that the vast majority of our time is going to be spent just maintaining what we have built or retaking ground that we've lost either through injury, vacations, or putting our, our training focus somewhere else for a little while. And that's fine. And that falls back to the mental benefits is at some point for everyone showing up to the gym consistently, it's no longer just about making new gains. It's just part of your life and your mental well-being. So there we have it. That is my combined review of Radically Simple Strength with Paul Horn, as well as that interview. So thanks for sticking around, and I hope you enjoyed it. Come by the website, everydaymarksman.co. You'll find today's show notes, as well as sign up for our email list. I look forward to seeing you out there. And that is it for me. Take care. I'll catch you next time.